prescription from the doctor. TC Martin. Largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. is now in we have two more days of world cup soccer and argentina's through to the final tomorrow morocco and france talk about the favorites talk about the underdogs we got that going on we had that going on today as Croatia could not put together another run, and they fall today to Argentina 3 0 the final. So tomorrow, the other semifinal takes place France and Morocco. And then Sunday, the World Cup final takes place. So we will look forward to that. Paul Buck Power Stewart's going to join us today from across the pond. One of our soccer gurus will get his thoughts, and we have not talked to Paul. Buck power, striker, pitch power, Stewart, since France eliminated his home country, England. So that could be very, very interesting today. Look forward to that. Plus, we've got John Sassenti, the executive director of the Las Vegas Bowl. John, always a frequent guest on the program. And uh, it is time. Saturday, we look forward to the Las Vegas Bowl in the first rendition of the SEC versus the Pac-12. And this go-around, Oregon State versus Florida. And Oregon State, a double-digit favorite in this game. So last year, we saw the Big Ten and the Pac-12 square off. Last year with Wisconsin and Arizona State. It'll be interesting to see what the crowd is going to be like coming up on Saturday. So we'll talk to John Sassenti about that. 11.30 kickoff uh, Saturday as well, too. And we know Saturday's going to be a busy day here in Las Vegas because we got the undefeated UNLV Runner Rebels. On the hard court against the USF Dons. The big seven-footer, big Bill Cartwright, coming to town for that. Kevin Kruger will be joining us on the show tomorrow. So we look forward to that as well, too. And also tomorrow, uh, a heads up, we're going to promote a little bit later, but uh, speaking of UNLV, Barry Odom, the new head coach of UNLV, will join us tomorrow as well, too. So uh, we'll get uh, his thoughts on being the new head coach at UNLV. Um, but we start the show today, very sad news. And we talked about it yesterday that, uh, you know, Mike Leach suffered the heart attack yesterday morning, uh, in his home in Mississippi. He was in critical condition and, uh, Mike Leach passed away this morning. So very sad, um, to hear that news today, Mike Leach passes away after having that massive heart attack uh, was listed in critical condition um up until basically the time that uh he died but uh very sad news on that today want to start the program off and uh, bring in our very good friend who covers college with espn of course trevor madich and uh, trevor sorry about the circumstances that we're having you on uh today but i definitely wanted to talk with you because i know you were you're close to this story uh and i Know that uh, you've got a chance to cover Mike Leach for a number of years. Mike Leach, a uh, 21-year coaching veteran. Mike Leach was in his third head coaching stint um, in this one with uh, Mississippi State. And the final time that we saw Mike Leach on the sideline was that Egg Bowl victory where he upset Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. And uh, we have so many memories of Mike Leach just, you know, the air raid offense, innovativeness, uh, you know, his quirkiness and that sort of thing as well, too. He'd always be uh, pretty fun to cover at press conferences, but a very sad day today as Mike Leach dies at the age of 61. Trev, how'd you feel when you heard uh, about the news, first of all, that uh, he had the heart attack and then hearing that uh, he passed away earlier today? I was deeply saddened, deeply saddened. He had such a joy for the game and everything about it. Uh, joy of being around the game of, of the players, of the coaches, of scheming, you know, the competitions. He just, he just loved every minute of it. And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I was, my initial reaction was just, 
a deep sadness, not only that he's not there anymore for the game, but that, that his ability to interact with the game now is no longer there. And I, I felt bad for him. Yeah. Very, very sad news, uh, you know, to hear this. And, you know, I mentioned that I know that you covered Michael Leach and I was curious, I mean, how well did you actually know him or what kind of interactions did you have with Michael Leach? I think more than any other head coach wow. in the last, you know, dozen years uh, because of uh, my tours. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he, um, I got to see him uh, at Texas Tech. Uh, in addition, you know, tours me in the off season when I drive around the country and, you know, my own car, my own, I'm paying for the gasoline, I'm paying for the hotels and I'm visiting programs, right? Um, you know, and I'll put in pre COVID, I would put in, you know, 10,000, 12,000 miles, uh, a year and off season doing that. Um, and you, you get to know people and I got to know Coach Leach, um, quite well during those times. You know, I just talking to him at his office. Uh, being with him at practice, just standing next to him, watch what he does, um, being on the whiteboard and have him draw up what he's doing and, and why it works and what it's about and all those different things. And uh, there's a number of things that stood out. One was that he he is seen, I think, by casual fans as a finesse coach because the air raid, uh, the way he ran it, didn't typically feature a whole lot of running plays. Sometimes it did, but often it didn't. And they thought that this, this meaning casual fans, that that meant that he was a finesse coach. It was a, a seven on seven kind of a situation. Well, for him, balance was not, was not, um, you balance between pass plays and run plays that you call. It's balance of your playmakers getting touches. And it didn't matter if you threw it to it, threw it to him, handed it to him, tossed it to him. It didn't really matter as long as his playmakers got touches. And that, to him, was balance. Because at his core, there's nothing finesse about about Coach Leach. He was a hardcore, old-school, hard-nosed football man to his very foundation. Totally the opposite of what a lot of people think. And I, one time I was up at Washington State, and I was watching him in spring, spring practice, and the guys were a little loose with their focus at the beginning of practice. And so about... About 40 minutes into it, you know, coach was trying to get everybody focused and he's like, okay, blew the whistle. He said, all right, start over, stretch, right? And they, they started practice over again. And I've had that happen, I think, once in my entire football career. It was in the NFL, actually, that it happened. And, and that gets your attention because now you're talking about people's time, right? And you don't want that to happen again. And he made sure everybody was focused. He wasn't just a, a finesse guy to let people do what they wanted to do and let's just throw the ball around the yard and have fun. No way, man. Uh, he coached a physical style of football, even though they threw the ball a lot. And so you saw his receivers, you saw his running backs and offensive line play with a physicality that's unexpected if you're not actually looking for it. Um, so those things are all, um, you know, those, those are features of him as a coach, but also there's the, the side of him, the fun side of him, that people now I think are getting to know a little bit better because of all the outpouring of, of love for him and the, the fun things that he says and he does. And he does that because he's, he's just a, he's fun. I mean, he just enjoys life. He, he's interested in life. He's interested in, you know, insurgent techniques in Laos and Cambodia in the 1960s and 70s, right? And he, he, if he gets interested in something, he'll really learn it deeply, which is one of the reasons he was able to do so much in football. And I remember the first time I walked into uh, his office at Washington State, uh, he wasn't in the office yet. They just told me to go in there. And I about jumped out of my skin because there was a full-size mannequin of a pirate holding a cutlass right next to the door on the inside. I didn't know it was there. I walked in. There's this big, scary thing holding a weapon next to me. I about, about jumped through the roof, you know. But but that's one of the things he loved. He loved the history of pirates. He fancied himself in many ways as a pirate from the standpoint of doing what he wanted to do outside of what the the hierarchy of authority thought that, you know, football coaches should be and what they should do. I think that's one of the big things that he brought to college football because, you know, he never played college football or I, I don't think football on any level. As far as I know, he played rugby at BYU. He was a lawyer, you know, he got his law degree and then decided he wanted to go into football coaching. And he had some ideas that were way outside the box because he was not encumbered with 
tradition. He was not encumbered with the way things ought to be done and the way they've always been done. So he said, well, how should they be done? Right. And uh, so one thing led to another, and he completely, utterly, and absolutely changed the game of football at the high school, college, and NFL levels because of his thinking outside of the box. Mike Leach's offense, very, very innovative, ingenious, so to speak, and it really, from a defensive coordinator's perspective, a nightmare. You hated to face his offenses. And you mentioned something about you know, the lack of a running game, and he just, I don't know if it, did he just not believe in that, Trevor, or did he just believe that, hey, you know, we're going to throw the ball 60, 70 times a game because that is the, the best and most efficient or quickest way to score? Why do you think that, you know, he was, he was so married to that offense? Because he thought that was the best way to win, especially when he didn't have the, the big horses. I mean, Alabama, my, Nick Saban, back in the day, very famously, uh, asked the question, is this where you want football to go? Is this what you want football to be? You know, up-tempo and, and throw the ball over the place rather than just huddle up, line up with a fullback and pound the ball like it's supposed to be. Well, Mike Leach was like, well, gee, if I had your guys, I, I might think about that. But in the meantime, here's what I'm going to do. And, and it's not that he doesn't like the running game. I mean, you bet, look to back, uh, some of his games and he will run the ball an awful lot in some games. It just depends on what's working. But overall, you'll see that even when he doesn't hand the ball to his running backs a lot, he's still throwing the ball to his running backs a lot. And so that's, you know, the, the concept that he doesn't use running backs because he doesn't hand it off, I think is, uh, you know, it's a misnomer. Mm-hmm. He, he's very much engaging those guys in the ways that he thinks will best help him win. And we know a few years back, I mean, Mississippi State had some some decent running backs. Actually, you know, that, that went on to play at the next level in the NFL as well, too. So uh, that is a great point. You mentioned his sense of humor, the quirkiness, the dry wit. He was great to see and hear with the interviews. And like you said, you know, talking about, you know, uh, the pirates, he would bring up, you know, pirates. He would bring up a lot of crazy stuff. I I loved it when he talked about like, you know, that the candy corn was, was ridiculous. It was a joke. I mean, he could go anywhere at any time. And especially during the off season when he would have some time to chill. I mean, you, I would hear some of these interviews would be downright hilarious. And it just seemed like that, that he was one of those guys that you, you would love just to, to spend a couple hours with. Yes, and I've had the opportunity to do that, and, and I did love it every time. And but even during the season, I mean, he had a an interview uh, after the after a game with Alyssa Lang, uh, where she told him that she was uh, putting together her own wedding, and did he have any advice? And so he went on. He, you know, he went on a, a riff on what they should do, and basically he said, "You really should elope." And these are Mike, Mike's words, not mine. He told her, if you don't elope and you just have a big wedding, wedding, every female in the family will, will basically torture you until it's over. So they'll all be mad at you if you elope, but then they'll get over it and it'll be a whole lot better. Uh, you know, and so he went on as to why he thought that was the right thing. And there's a lot of political correctness or incorrectness in that answer, isn't there? But that's another thing about Mike that makes him so refreshing is that he did not care what people thought. Mm -hmm. He knew what he knew. He knew what he didn't know. And he was curious to learn more about both. And if you didn't like it, well, that was your problem, not his. And that was part of what was so refreshing about him. Uh, Innovative coach, refreshing personality. Uh, Mike Leach, unfortunately, passes away at the young age of 61 earlier today. Trevor, we appreciate the time. Uh, as always, my friend, we'll look forward to talking with you uh, tomorrow. And we'll, we'll talk some football. We've got bowl games uh, to talk about and uh, including the Las Vegas bowl will be coming up this weekend. I appreciate it, my friend. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks DC. There it is. Very rough day for that man, Trevor Maddich, today uh, with ESPN. Appreciate him, of course, carving out some time to talk with us again. The biggest story, not only, uh, you know, from the college football perspective, but on the sports landscape as well. The news that Mike Leach passes away. ESPN did a uh, a nice little tribute to Mike Leach. I wanted to share that uh, with everyone here today because it, it really tells a lot about the person and about the coach himself, Mike Leach. All right, any questions? 
Do you believe in Bigfoot? What do you really want for Christmas? Coach, I know you have strong thoughts on weddings. Go elope. Trust me on that. It's a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. You're like, you know, this weird basketball pass. That was the beginning of the end. Mike Leach was a martini mix of ingredients never seen before in college football. His coaching career, much like his 61-year-old life, was not only a road less traveled, but a road that didn't exist until he created it. His mind worked in mysterious, eccentric, and entertaining ways. He was an intellect and a football bohemian who didn't just push the envelope, but tore it up into little pieces. This guy's going like this, eventually he's going to lose. How else do you explain a football journey that never included playing college football? That saw Leach earn a bachelor's degree, a law degree, and a master's degree, and then follow his heart not to a courtroom, but to the sidelines, from the California desert to the coast of Finland, from obscurity to eventually head coaching jobs in the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the SEC. See, I'm going to get my grandkids one of these things. We're like one of the most constipated offenses on earth. He was a singular personality with a singular offense that broke records and defensive coordinators' hearts. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Leach never met a topic or a microphone he didn't like. I think candy corn's awful. It, you know, <clears throat> it's like fruitcake. I hope there's Bigfoot. I don't think there is. His stream of consciousness moments could have been pay-per-view. And his office was equally eclectic. Pirates, Geronimo, and this masterpiece. Once in a while, a pirate can beat a soldier, you know? He won 158 games during his distinguished 21-year career, led 19 of those teams to bowl games, and was the National Coach of the Year twice. But Leach was bigger than life, not because of those numbers, but because of a personality that embraced all things unconventional, even his death. When people write the Mike Leach obituary, how do you want to be remembered? Well, that's their problem. They're the one writing the obituary. I mean, what do I care? I'm dead. Wow. Mike Leach passes away at the age of 61 after the complications of the surgery, after having a massive heart attack over the weekend. Mike Leach, like we talked about, very innovative coach, the air raid offense. He was in his third head coaching stint, had a 19-17 record at Mississippi State, 8-4 and four this season, and they're on their way to a bowl game. And the Bulldogs are prepping for that bowl game right now. They were prepping with Mike Leach up until the past couple days. Um, as of now, they are going to continue to prep for that bowl game in play against Illinois on January the 2nd. We have not heard anything different as of as of now. And uh, definitely, I'm sure they're going to be motivated to play for their head coach. Prior to Mike Leach coming to Mississippi State, remember he started his coaching career with Texas Tech from 2000 to 2009, and that's when we first began to get to know Mike Leach, know about his innovative offenses. I mean, every year, his offenses there at Texas Tech would average over 45 points a game. Uh, from there, he parlayed that into to success and went to, after having a couple of years off, where, honestly, he had a couple issues at Texas Tech. Uh, with some players and some administration. And Mike Leach, you know, was one of those guys, like Trevor Match just explained to us, great guy, but again, he did things his own way. And uh, he did have some, you know, I don't want to say confrontations, but maybe some disagreements, different views, viewpoints on things with administrators at Texas Tech and, and some players. He went to Washington State, went to the Pac-12. He was there. For seven-plus seasons, Washington State, he was there from 2012 to 2019. He was a National Coach of the Year in 2018 for uh, the great job that he did you know, with the Cougs. And then, like I said, he ends up at Mississippi State 
and uh, he had been there the past uh, three seasons, and uh, that record there, 19 and 17, 8 and 4 this year. Overall, Mike Leach, 158 victories, 107 losses in his 21 seasons as a head coach. And like we talked about, you know, he was also known for his quirky personality, dry wit, and he loved talking about history, business, politics, food, or whatever would come up. And uh, that's why I wanted people to hear from Trevor Match today because, you know, we've talked about, you know, Trevor's travels so many times on this show. And Trevor alluded to that where Trevor's travels is, it was an ESPN series that they would do during the course of uh, spring football and in the early summer where Trevor would drive across the country, like he said, paid for his own gas and travels, and he would pick and choose uh, about anywhere from six to 10 different college football posts where he would go and talk to coaches, interview players, watch practices, and that was his prep work for the season. There's a reason why Trevor Maddich has 17 Emmy Awards right now because of his work there. And one of the coaches that he would make sure that he would try to visit on a regular basis was Mike Leach because he was really infatuated with Mike Leach's offensive philosophy. And Trevor, being a former offensive lineman, national champion of BYU in 1984, and then, of course, his 12-year NFL career, he he really loved talking to coaches regarding offensive football. And uh, so, yeah, he got a chance to know Mike Leach very, very well, and I appreciate him sharing his stories uh, with us today. But uh, the sad news, again, that Mike Leach passes away this morning at the age of 61 from that massive heart attack. And again, a guy that was just coaching his team days earlier, prepping for the bowl game. And now we find out that he was not in the best of health. He had some congestion problems. He was dealing with pneumonia. And uh, where that led to the heart attack, uh, we have no idea. But uh, too soon for anyone to be leaving us at the age of 61. When we come back, we will talk World Cup soccer. we got more football to talk about. John Sassenti will join us as we talk about the Las Vegas Bulls. We get ready for that. Looking forward to that in a very busy weekend here in Las Vegas. But uh, again, starting the show off with the sounds of Mike Leach. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. Coach, I'm getting married in nine days. Can you impart some wisdom on my uh, for my fiance? Well, it's so it's too late to rescue you. It'd be fun if there's Bigfoot. I hope there's Bigfoot, and there should be a lot more gorillas for. Um, Mascots. Well, I don't know. I don't even think he had a mustache when I recruited him. Um, on Earth, they say, "Oh, well, Luke, we're the only ones." We're, I mean, really? Why? Have you been to the other planets? Have you checked out the other planets? The gravy's very key for, I think, Thanksgiving. And there's a reason they only serve candy corn once a year because it's awful. Well, you know, I don't know how to do a Facebook. I don't have any video games. I don't know how to do those. Um, I shaved today. Um, Put this hoodie on instead of the T-shirt. Because this would be embarrassing if I couldn't do this, okay? And I've always been able to do this. And even at the ripe old age of 76, which I am right now, I can do it. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right. We got two more days of World Cup action. That's it. Tomorrow, got the other semifinal. And then Sunday, the World Cup Final in Qatar or Qatar. Take your pick. Go both ways. You know, it only went one way today earlier. Argentina defeats Croatia. I'm very sad about that. My native land loses. Getting shut out 3-0. A lot of defensive lapses today. Not happy about that. But now, I'm rooting for Morocco. 
Go Morocco Mole. That was a cartoon, wasn't it? Morocco Mole. Numbchuck, you're too young. Maybe Paul Stewart knows what I'm talking about. All right. He is not Paul Buck Power Stewart today, but he is still Paul Pitch Power Stewart, Paul Striker Stewart, somewhere. I don't know where he's at. All I've been seeing recent photos of him in with a snowman or something with a carrot nose, and I don't know what's going on. Buried in some some snow. I don't. Maybe he is he is part of the filming of maybe the new Quentin Tarantino movie, The Hateful Nine. I don't know if that's going on. Paul Stewart, what's going on, my friend? Uh, what is this World Cup you're talking about? We have no knowledge of this event in England at the moment. <laughs> of course you don't, because you got eliminated. You got swept away. You got kicked to the curb. You got buried in the snow by the defending champions, France. What happened, Paul Stewart? I mean, you guys were all jolly, oh. everything, and then no show. Oh, oh, oh stand by. Hold on. Oh, yeah. What happened? Oh, oh yes, that's Harry Kane missed again. Yes, Harry Kane missed again for the third time. In an open net. What's going on? He can't hit penalty kicks. He's Isn't he your highest paid English soccer player around? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, England first lost to France in 1066 when they invaded our country. So we've had over a millennium. Why does it always come back to history with this guy? He's he's talking about the United States and the Boston Tea Party. I I don't get it. I don't well, get it. we we have all this history, as you know. So we, you know, we've had wars and arguments with everybody, which is why <laughs> everyone hates the English TC. Yes. But believe me, we we don't like Australia. We don't like Germany. We really, really hate the French <laughs> because they're our nearest neighbours. They're only twenty miles away across the Channel. To lose to them at soccer. Oh, my God, the world has ended in this country. It, uh, what did the French ever do to you? I mean, they provided French fries, French onion soup, uh, you know, uh, French vanilla ice cream. I mean, there's a lot of great French stuff there. I mean, come on, what's wrong with you guys? They're French. <laughs> That's enough. Merci. That's all we have to say, Merci. TC. Merci. French. <laughs> all right, so let's go back to that. Could we have not talked to you since... France defeated England. Uh, in your opinion, yeah. was it was it the mistakes? Was it the 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 missed uh, you know uh, penalty kicks by by Kane? What went wrong, Paul? So they were two very very good teams, and if those two teams played ten times, they each win five. It, they were that evenly matched. It was a case the the France score say was two one. The French took advantage of their chances. The English didn't. And England had two penalties. They scored one. They missed the other one. France had two or three clear-cut chances. They scored twice. So it was a very evenly played match. Um, the English media have gone completely over the top blaming the referee for everything that went wrong, even though he gave two penalties to England. And, and watching it, it almost as a, you know, I wanted England to win because they're my country, but watching it almost as a neutral, because I'm not a massive soccer fan anymore, they were the, you know, they deserved their victory. Good luck to them. If we played a game tomorrow, England might win. It was just one of those things that happens in the top level of world soccer, TC. Mm-hmm. All right. The semifinal today, uh, Argentina and Croatia. It was all Argentina. They win 3-0. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, about today's match? And, uh, you know, Croatia, they're not a high-scoring team. They're more of a defensive-minded team. But, hey, they love to extend the game. They love to get to extra time. They love to get to uh, to the kicks on the spot. That is the proper terminology. But today... Uh, again, very sloppy in the back, but I'm very curious uh, what you thought when you were watching Argentina today. Argentina are peaking at the right time. They are one of the two best teams in the tournament, and we'll come to the French in a minute. They totally deserve their place in the final. And right now, the question is, is Messi the best player ever, or is it Pelé? It's down to that level. Really? I mean, so you're just going straight to uh, Messi de Pelé and you're getting rid of uh, anybody else? Yeah, I mean, Ronaldo has been a great player over the years, but he's passed his sell-by date. Right now, if you're talking about who the best strikers are in the history of soccer, it's Pelé or Messi. And right now, Messi is playing at such a high level, even in his mid-30s. He's on. He's got a good chance of winning the Golden Boot to be the leading goal scorer. Argentina has scored 12 goals in this tournament. He scored five and set up four. So he is the main man. They play well as a unit. They were very good defensively today. Right now, 
I would say they are, they are the favourites, no matter who gets through to the to play them in the final. All right. All right, tomorrow we've got Morocco and France. Morocco is a great story, Paul, as we know. Uh, and if you you do your your homework, you go back and you see this is not a fluke. I mean, this team has so many uh, you know players on their roster that play uh, in England in the Bundesliga. They play in Spain, and what I love about watching Morocco is their fans travel. I mean, they are, they have just taken over these stadiums, uh, in Qatar here. It'll be interesting to see what that crowd split is going to be like tomorrow for the semifinal, uh, Morocco against France. Yeah, Morocco, people are, people are thinking Morocco, it's a real surprise that, you know, they're, a, they're it's an amazing story how they've got there. They're ranked number 22 in the world. They are a good team. Now, yes, they're the first African team to make the semi-finals of a World Cup, which is quite an achievement. They they play a very defensive game. They went out of their way to, to sort of play a sort of back nine at times, try and catch teams on the break. They've made it work. They deserve their place in the final. You know, they've beaten some good teams to get there. France will not underestimate them. Now, France will be the favourites going into this game. I fully expect France to win, but Morocco deserve to be there, and it's not as big a shock as people think. Did I mention French onion soup, Paul? It's one of my favourites. <laughs> or French bread. <laughs> French bread. There's another one. There you go. Keep it rolling, my friend. There you go. Exactly. Uh, all right. So you thinking? So give give me a give me a prediction tomorrow. What do you think is going to happen? France are going to win three or four nil. What think, three I or four nil? I mean, Morocco hasn't gi- Morocco hasn't given up anything like that. What are you talking about? Three or four nil. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I've got to get one or two predictions right. Remember, I did beat you in the group stage competition of our World Cup event. And I'm so glad that he said the group stage competition. That's right. It was the group. <laughs> it wasn't the overall World Cup winner, Paul, because if you would have taken my advice and said, let's, let's continue on, you know, till we have a real winner, like we're going to have a winner here after Sunday, I got a feeling I'd probably be winning because I have been on fire. On fire up until today, my friend. On fire. I hit five in a row here. I've been all over this Morocco bandwagon. Morocco Mole, wasn't that a cartoon? Well, all I can say is if you want to continue your winning streak, make sure you take the Bengals plus six over the over the Bucks this weekend. Oh, look at this. Not only has he not only has he faded his own English (laughs) soccer team, he's fading his professional football team in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll get to that here in a minute. Wow. And uh, uh, amazing. Uh, the fans there in England now, have they just turned off yeah. the telly? They're not watching any more of the coverage here or, or what, what are their thoughts when England got eliminated less than a week ago? Um, yeah, you're right. The world cup has ended for them. So the, the nation stopped to watch the game. You watched it, watched it in your own TVs. You went to bars, pubs, you watched the game and it was a big celebration, a big event. You know, the England beat Senegal very easily 3-0. As I said, they, they got turned over by France on the day. And yeah, to be honest, the, the interest in the World Cup has now stopped. Yes, you might look at it. Oh, that's nice. Argentina are through. Here's the final. They've we've moved on to other things. And just for example, the England cricket team yesterday pulled off an amazing victory over Pakistan. That has today dominated the sports pages rather than anything about the World Cup because we're a very fickle nation. We move from sport to sport. The, the one thing that did come out of this, the England defeat, and as I mentioned it earlier, was they were blaming the referee for everything. Now, we have former players as pundits, the same as you do on your halftime and post-game shows, and they have some, they have allegiance to their own teams. The way they behaved over England's defeat, it wasn't the fact that Kane missed a penalty, it was the fact that referees should have given England three more penalties, that every decision was going against them. But they brought in a Premier League referee who just said, that's wrong, the guy's done exactly what he should have done. No, that wasn't good enough. We're going to have a go at the referee because we can't dare blame our own players. It was an indictment of the way football and soccer is covered here in this country. It's too partisan. It's too biased. And people don't take a realistic view of it. So to me, that's a little bit sad. But yeah, the World Cup, we've reached the quarterfinals. We were semi-final this last time. One day we will get back to the final and win it like we did in 1966. I was only 15 months old when that happened. But yeah, it, it is a national sport here, TC, and everyone stops because England are now out. We don't care anymore. Yeah. 
Paul Stewart joins us from England talking about the uh, World Cup. Uh, you know, Paul, we were very apprehensive. I guess that would be the word. Apprehensive on, on how this World Cup would play out and be viewed, uh, not just for people here in the United States, England, but all, all over the world uh, because it was in Qatar. How has it been, in your opinion, and let's let's first just talk about the action that we've seen on the on the play, and you know how popular of a World Cup has this been? I think now we talked about this a few weeks ago that we said the World Cup should not have been in Qatar, and that's correct. Everyone accepts that. The minute the first game started playing, the whistle went. People have forgotten about what's been going on off the field. Let's concentrate on the matches on the soccer. It's been a really good World Cup. There have been some great performances, some major shocks, some surprises, some new names, some old names. It's been everything that a World Cup should be. And I think as soon as the trophy is presented on Sunday, then we can get back to criticising FIFA for what should have been done in the first place. But soccer has been the winner on the field, not off it. It does seem like like you said, that the controversy surrounding this country and how they got uh, the World Cup has subsided uh, a little bit. Have you been hearing anything over the over the last couple weeks uh, about this, or has it just got totally buried? I think it's become a little bit buried. Now, one of my friends, the guy, one of the guys who was in our British competition, Ian Costain, was out there, and he's seen he saw games at all of the eight stadiums, and he said it was a great place to go as a fan, as long as you didn't want the what he would call traditional soccer experience of lots of drinking, partying. That wasn't there. It was almost a an event for the laid-back, middle-aged sports fan, you know, the armchair fan who wants to go there and have a good atmosphere in the stadium but not have any other trouble outside of it. So it, it was a success in one way, but as I said, it should never have been there in the first place. It was a bunch of bribes paid to FIFA officials. I don't they can sue me if they I'm gonna say it. Everyone else has said it. It shouldn't have been there, and hopefully we can learn from that in the future. I don't think they will, because FIFA's a very corrupt organization, but at least we can concentrate on what's going on on the pitch between the two goals and between the teams taking part. You know, I'm curious, what is gonna happen with these venues that they, you know, spent all this money uh, building and all the man hours that it took here, and, and, and again the slave labor that that took to to build and erect uh, these these venues. As we know, uh, Qatar is not a, a a big place at all, and we've seen this time and time again. Whether it's World Cups or specifically Olympic venues, whether it's summer or winter Olympic venues, where after the games are over, these. Uh, buildings, these multi-million dollar, billion dollar now buildings go dormant and they're, they're not used. What do you think is going to happen with these, these big, huge 80,000 seat soccer stadiums? Because they, they, they don't, they don't have their own league. They, they can't fill these things. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't see, you know, the, uh, the B52s or YouTube or, you know, uh, Parliament Funkadelic coming to fill these stadiums and concerts. What is going to happen here? No, you're right. The Qatari Premier League isn't exactly going to get big viewing because they haven't got any players. I mean, it have, like you said, it happens in Olympics events. I've been to Athens in Greece a few years after they had the Olympics there, and there were venues there that were just gone to waste, that were just weeds growing everywhere. But I also remember back in Atlanta in 96, one of the main stadiums being torn down straight away to build a, a Braves, you know, to be converted into the Braves baseball stadium. It happens everywhere, you know, where stadiums get built, because it's almost like the money's been made, it's done, who cares now? We've had the event, we can count the profits, hopefully, and, and go from there. So, yeah, I think there are plans. One of the stadiums is being taken down very soon afterwards, but it's not just the the, month, the man hours that's been spent, it's the man lives that were lost in building it. There were lots of people lost their lives in building these stadiums because shortcuts were taken on safety. You know, the stories that they tried to curtail them, but they, they happened. You know, we are going to be hosting the World Cup here in the United States, Paul, but it's not just the United States. It's going to be what a, a, a triangular situation with Canada and, and Mexico, uh, as well. Uh, give me some thoughts on that because I, I don't recall, uh, you know, a, a country as large as the United States having to 
to share venues, it doesn't make sense. I mean, we saw that before in smaller nations, but what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, the last Euro Championship was shared round between quite a few countries, and it's almost become a way now of sharing the wealth around the different countries involved. I do get you wouldn't be able to take a World Cup to Canada. You wouldn't be able to take it. Well, it did take it to Mexico back in 1970. So on the first ones I remember watching. But I think nowadays sharing it round a little bit, primarily having it in the United States, but having matches in Canada and Mexico I don't think that's too bad a thing. In this case, a little bit of sharing the wealth, like, you know, the NFL and the other sports have done, going to other countries. I'm looking forward to that because, I mean, America has got more sports stadiums than any other country in the world that can host these things. You know, there's, there's... what, 50, 60 stadiums you could hold a big, big event at? I know Tampa is one of them. I think it's Miami and Orlando are the two stadiums in Florida that are being used. But I think it's going to be, it'll be a great tournament. And I think whereas you had the World Cup in 94, it was too early for America to really get into it because the sport was still growing. Now it's become more popular as we've moved on. I think in 2026, it'll be a big event and more Americans will get into the Soccer World Cup because it's there on their doorsteps. You know, there's no doubt about that. And I just think that, you know, if you're going to award this uh, to the United States, award to the United States. I mean, listen to these host cities. Now, this is the next World Cup. This is in 2026. It'll be Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, New York slash New Jersey, so that'll put us at the Meadowlands, uh, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and the Bay Area, so which means they'll be using Levi Stadium there in Santa Clara and Seattle. Then they'll also have uh, sites in Guadalajara, Mexico City, uh, Monterey, and then in Canada, they'll be playing in Toronto and Vancouver. It just seems very, very strange. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm not sure I'm, I'm with this, Paul. It's very spread out. I'll give you that. I, I don't re- say I don't really see a problem with it. Um, the, yes, there's a lot of traveling with a country as big as America because, you know, it's, it's a five or six hour flight from one side to the other. It's not like Qatar where everything was been in with a space of about 20 minutes. Um, if you had a World Cup in, in Germany, example, it's maybe an hour from, from one venue to another at maximum. I think they'll have to spread it out a little bit. At the moment, they're talking about a 48-team tournament, which I just do not see working, and that would dilute it. 32 is the most you can have. It's got to be the best teams there. I said, I, I think by the time you get round to in four years' time, people will be more bored with it, and it'll be a case of sharing the wealth. I, I don't see a problem, TC. I think it will be good for soccer in America, and it'll be good for soccer worldwide. All right, so you've got four years to prepare yourself. Now, you, you come to the United States once a year to go to Raymond James Stadium, wherever in the heck that we're calling it now, so you can mess around your little pirate ship out there. Uh, are, is this going to be a stop for you? And I want to know which location that you would go to. Or would you just say, oh, forget the United States. I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to Canada. I, I don't know. I mean, it's a long time away for me. Um <laughs> I mean, I've been to most of the main soccer stadiums here in the UK for covering different events over the years. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll see what happens. England have got to qualify first because, I mean, you know, <laughs> you can get a great great team like Italy having made the last two World Cups. England have got to get there. And I think it would depend where England was based um, as, as a group stage as to what would happen. It would depend on the seedings. I mean, what are you talking about as far as qualification? We're going to expand this thing to 48. I mean, you're you're going to get uh, countries uh, the size of uh, of Maine or Massachusetts are going to qualify. What are we talking about here? You might even get Germany to get through again. Oh, I know that was coming. There it is. I will agree with Paul Stewart, though. Yes, this World Cup is essentially over for for both of us. As I with England, Germany, Croatia gone. It's over. But no, I, I'm I am still. I want to see Morocco win. I'm a fan of their style, and people would say, oh, my gosh, it's boring. Man, they play defense just as as well as anybody can. The way that they uh, just execute uh, that in the defensive side, and then when they get their chances uh, you know, for, for the break in the counterattack, it's amazing, man. And again, this is... They've got real professional players on this team, like we mentioned, that uh, that play all, all around the world with their club team. So I, I'm giving them a shot, Paul. I'm giving Morocco a shot tomorrow. Morocco Mole and Secret Squirrel. What do you think of that? 
I, I'm old enough to remember those cartoons. Come over to Justin. Are you going to put uh, one or two dollars down on Morocco though to win? Yes, That's the I, main question. Yes, absolutely. Yes, I will. Absolutely will because I, I have the last two. So I, I had them in the quarterfinal and uh, the the last group stage uh, uh, match as well too. So I've hit my last two in a row with Morocco. So I'm I'm going to ride that streak, my friend. There you go. Go, go for it. I still think France will win by at least three goals tomorrow. That, that's the verdict from uh, down here in snowy England where I, I live at the moment. I'm going to say this right now. The reason why I say that Morocco can pull the upset, and no one else is really saying it, is it because the French are sloppy, and they were sloppy against that game in England. I mean, they were sloppy, committing those penalties and then falling asleep on the back. Nah, they're they're too sloppy for me, and I just think it's virtually impossible. Just doesn't happen as as we've talked about so many times in other sports, any sport to go back to back championships, impossible. No, nope, I'm going against them. Well, we'll see. My, my trifecta for the next few days is France to beat Morocco by three goals, the Bengals to cover the spread against the Buccaneers, and the Lightning to beat the Seattle Kraken tonight. Oh, jeez. All right, you Homer. All right. Well, what do you think? What what what, what happened to uh, those Tampa Bay Buccaneers just getting throttled last weekend in the Bay Area? Thirty, it was thirty-five nothing before you could blink. Thirty-five-seven, the final. Is is it over now? Can we can we play the funeral march for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I know TJ Reeves will say no, well, but, no yeah, but come I, on. I think to take Scott McKenzie's song, if you're going to San Francisco, um, at least try and turn up, which the Bucks didn't. The, <laughs> what is crazy, TC, is the Bucks could lose to Cincinnati this week. They could lose to the Cardinals on Christmas Day. And yet if they still win their last two games against Carolina Atlanta, they win that division no matter what because they would have all the tiebreakers against the other teams in the NFC South. And, and all they would do is earn a home game against the Cowboys and get completely annihilated. The Bucks right now are really struggling. They are a great team on paper with their names, but the NFL is played on grass. Now, in the old days, the offense used to call the offense three yards in a cloud of dust. The Buccaneers now have three yards, followed by another pass for three yards, followed by another pass for three yards. That's all they can do. It's all short dink and dunk stuff because their offensive line is completely patchwork and second rate. Brady doesn't want to get hit, so he throws the ball away as quickly as he can, which means there's no time for any deep patterns. They can play, the other teams are playing 11 man in the box and just saying, come on then, what are you going to do? We're better than you, and that's why the Bucks keep losing. Look at this, man. Uh, Paul, Paul Stewart. Just if you if that team loses to Arizona, uh, we, we we got some issues there. Uh, but, but no, they are not playing good football, you know, right now. And if this is it for the Bucks, I mean, could this we see the turn of of this team kind of going backwards? I'm not going to say you know going back to all of those decades of futility that you had to live through, but at least you lived through some some glorious uniforms back in the day. Those are creamsicles are outstanding. But don't you kind of get the feeling that especially if they're going to bring Todd Bowles back and then Brady's retired and this and that that this could be it for the Bucks for a while. I have no problem with that. Now, this is what's crazy. You know, I'm, I'm a very realistic fan, as you've seen from the articles I write on buckpower.com, in that I would always take several years of struggling in return for glory and a victory. Mm-hmm. Now, if you offered the likes of the Detroit Lions, the Cleveland Browns, teams like that, if you said you could have one year of success, sell your soul for that, they would buy your hand off and take it. Two years ago, the Bucks won a Vince Lombardi trophy. I, you know, as you saw a few weeks ago, I got to hold both the trophies. I have no problem with them going back to the bottom of the of the rankings, to struggling for a couple of years, to rebuilding. That is how the game works. That is what the NFL and parity is about. So I, I would not be worried if that happened. To be honest, right now, I do not want to see Tom Brady back next year. I think if someone else wants to take him, good luck to them. The Bucks can rebuild. They'll go with Kyle Trask at quarterback. He was a second-round pick last year. It's about time we got to see him play. We're stuck with Brady this year. You can't take him out now. He's earned the right to be there. But, yeah, I'm very realistic. So next year, when the creamsicle uniforms will be coming back for a game in 2023, it'll be a very different Buccaneer team, but one that's still got 
two Super Bowls in the closet to, to look at. You mentioned the ice cold there, uh, Paul. Uh, you're in snow. Um, I, I'm sure you had some uh, some broadcast stories there in the cold, right? Yeah, so many years ago, I, I was covering a, non, a local soccer game and I would do halftime radio updates to the studio and after the game. And there was a game I was covering where I was so cold, I couldn't even write any notes down. Um, and it came to the halftime radio report. I ad-libbed the whole thing, the minute or minute and a half I did on air. I did it completely from memory. And same with after the game. And I stood there thinking, and this is what I want to do as a career? Uh, that's the coldest I've ever been at a sporting event. And that is why I support the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and not the Green Bay Packers. Oh, oh, oh. how cold? What do you call cold? Knowing you, it was probably like 47 or something. But what was the temperature? Oh, that one was that was definitely below freezing. So down in the low 30s. It, it was 27 here today where I live. Um, I've played golf in weather when it's been 32, 33, which is what I call four layer clothing day when I play golf. But this was just standing around covering a soccer match, and that's the coldest I've ever been at any kind of sporting Listen, event. 30, 31, 32, blimey! In Green Bay, that's the shorts and sandals weather for us. Come on, man. There you go. There's a friend of mine, he's now the PR director of the Packers, Jason Whalers, and he used to be the associate PR director of the Buccaneers. And I remember saying to him, do you really call that a promotion? And he's convinced <laughs> after 10 years, yes, it is. He said, being in Green Bay is really special. It is. I like the warm weather TC. I like the warm weather, not the cold. There you go. I agree. Alright, brother. We'll uh, stay warm, my friend. Lots of hot cocoa and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Indeed we will. Take care, everybody. And go France. Three yeah. goals over Morocco tomorrow. Go France. He just tell me he hates France. You're English. You hate the French. You don't even like the French fries the French yeah, onion this, soup. This but this is me beating you, TC, which is far more important now. Go, go, Morocco. Go, go, Morocco. See you later, Paul. Paul Buckpower Stewart. Next time we talk to him, it'll be about football. Yeah!